Hear the word of God from Daniel chapter 6. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because of an excellent spirit that was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O king Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are all agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? And the king answered and said, This thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles of Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to, king, to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. 
Then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve, continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. This ends the reading of God's holy and applicable word. Thanks be to God. We've all heard the rumble of thunder. We've seen flashes of lightning across dark and stormy skies. And some of you may know that lightning is a discharge of electricity that comes from friction. As water and ice molecules rub up against each other, there's a friction, and an electrical discharge can be produced. It's a dramatic display, and it can be quite dangerous as well. Friction is the resistance that a body meets when it moves across a surface. Friction is resistance. We see something similar in our passage today, not between water and ice, but between two kingdoms, the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God. That's the friction we see today between the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God. You see, a citizen of the kingdom of God, like Daniel, who's living his life in exile, as he lives long enough, he will come across resistance. There will be friction eventually between him and the nation he is exiled to. Because the truth of the matter is, is that the law of God often stands in opposition to the desires of the world. Live long enough in exile, and there will be conflict for those who faithfully live their lives in exile. Daniel lives faithfully in exile, and by God's grace, he bears kingdom characteristics, living out his life in quiet obedience, commissioned by his faith. Even here in America, we are spiritual exiles. Even in a land that is founded on the principles of God, do not be fooled, we are no nation of God. But those who belong to Christ live in exile, and we are bound to experience friction 
And sometimes that friction can result in lightning and something that's spectacular and dangerous. It could be persecution, injustice, trials of many sorts, even death. But God's people live faithfully in exile. And so we seek to answer the question today, how does God How do God's people live faithfully in exile? And we see in Daniel today that God's people live faithfully in exile, bearing kingdom characteristics in a life of quiet obedience, commissioned by their faith. Kingdom characteristics, quiet obedience, commissioned by faith. Daniel lives his life in exile with kingdom characteristics. And what we'll look at today is the kingdom character, or the character of the kingdom defines the character of those who are submitted to that kingdom. If we look at Darius and the governors, we see a similarity. We see that they are seeking some of the same things, and the governors, in fact, reflect their king Darius, right? They're both seeking power, They're both seeking glory. They're both seeking to submit themselves to the government of the law of the Medes and the Persians. They do so for power. Darius has the power, and he's looking to hold on to it. That's why he's set up the system of government, so that the king might suffer no loss. And the governors and authorities, they're seeking to gain some of that power, and that's why they've devised this scheme to get rid of Daniel, so that they can have the power that Darius has. You see how the subjects reflect the characteristics of the king. But it's not the kingdom of Darius that we're really looking at today. Darius is not the kingdom of the world. It's of the kingdom of the world, but it's not the kingdom of the world. We're looking at something that's bigger, on a bigger scale. This is a kingdom that's ruled by not Darius, but a different ruler, a ruler that Paul calls the prince of the power of the air. This is who Darius and the authorities are submitted to, the kingdom of the world, ruled by the prince of the power of the air. And their character comes from the spirit that comes along with that kingdom, okay? Daniel, we see in our passage today, His excellent characteristics come from his excellent spirit. Well, if we look at Darius and the rulers, we could see that their less than excellent characteristics come from their less than excellent spirit. This is the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience. This is what Paul says in Ephesians. Those who are following the prince of the power of the air have the spirit which is now at work in the sons of disobedience. These are the characteristics that we see today in Darius and the authorities. We see disobedience. We see that these men did not see fit to acknowledge God. Paul, again, is helpful in the first chapter of Romans. He says that those who do not see fit to acknowledge God do what ought not be done. And he goes through this whole list of characteristics They're filled with unrighteousness, evil, covetedness. Daniel, an innocent man, is delivered into death. That's unrighteousness. 
They have malice towards Daniel. They're trying to kill him. They're coveting the power that Daniel is about to receive. We see that this whole problem comes from Daniel being set up over the whole kingdom. That's the spark. They're full of envy and murder and maliciousness, just as Paul says. They're gossips. They're slanderers. They're haters of God. They're disobedient. You see, this spirit of disobedience that's work, at work in them is what gives them their character. They're submitted to the world, and so they have the spirit of the ruler of that world. And so they exhibit the characteristics of that kingdom, the kingdom of the world. That's why Daniel stands out. That's why Daniel stands out so much in this passage. That's why Daniel has a big target on his back for the authorities, right? Daniel's not like that. Daniel's excellent characteristics come from his excellent spirit. What are Daniel's excellent characteristics? Obviously, he's trustworthy. He's faithful to Darius. This is why the governors have no way to accuse him of anything. And this is where the conflict comes from. Because Daniel's spirit, or because of Daniel's spirit, he exhibits characteristics that oppose the characteristics of the world. Jesus tells us that kingdom living looks like meekness, mercy, those of a pure heart, those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, These are the citizens of the kingdom of God as Jesus preaches the Beatitudes. Paul, again, is helpful. In Romans 12, Paul describes the marks of a Christian. And Christians are are citizens of the kingdom of God. And so we would expect these characteristics to match up with Daniel in our passage today, if he is a citizen of the same kingdom. What does Paul say? Paul says that Christians abhor evil. It would have been evil indeed for Daniel to turn to Darius in prayer to give the glory due to God to Darius. That would have been evil. He holds fast to what is good. It's good to turn to God. It's good to trust in God when things go sideways and to trust that he is in control, that he has the power to deliver. Daniel holds fast to what is good. He rejoices in hope. He seems to be fairly patient in tribulation. And he blesses those who persecute him. These are the marks of a Christian. At the end of our chapter, when Daniel emerges from the lion's den... What does he say in verse 21? He says, O king, live forever. Daniel's blessing Darius, even as he emerges from the tomb that Darius sealed him in. He's blessing his persecutor. O king, live forever. Daniel bears the marks of a citizen of the kingdom of God. Why? because of his most excellent spirit. We will submit to one kingdom or the other. 
the kingdom of the world, or the kingdom of God. And we will exhibit the characteristics of that ruler one way or another. The prince of the power of the air or the God Almighty who created heaven and earth. One way or another. And the world, as we live life in exile, will try and try and try again to conform us to its desires, to conform us to its laws, and to have us follow the world's ways. And we will try and try and try again to belong to this world until we realize that we do not belong here, until we realize who it is we belong to, to our Savior, Jesus Christ, to all who place faith in him, who trust in the salvation of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. That's whose character we exhibit as we live faithfully in exile because we have his most excellent spirit, the Holy Spirit, through faith in him. And so as we trust in Jesus, we no longer belong to the kingdom of this world, but we belong to the kingdom of God and we exhibit kingdom characteristics. When times are crazy, we exhibit kingdom characteristics. And the thing is, is these are excellent characteristics, faithfulness, wisdom, all these things that Daniel brings to the table for the king, the world's going to benefit from that. We're called to be salt and light to a fallen and dark world. The world will benefit from it, and the world will be satisfied with those attributes and the good things that Christians bring to the table until it's not. The world will be satisfied with the law of God until it's not, until the law of God opposes the desires of this world. And at that point, there will be friction. At that point, there could erupt persecution and injustice of many sorts, even death, because of our kingdom characteristics. And at that point, we can ask the question again, how are God's people to live faithfully in exile? Next, we see that God's people are to live faithfully in exile with quiet obedience. Quiet obedience. Daniel is about to be set over the entire kingdom. Darius has seen these good attributes. He says, this is a guy I want to have around. This is a guy that I want watching my back because I know that he's faithful. I know he's trustworthy. I'm setting him over all my things. And we see that throughout Scripture, right? Think about Joseph. The many times that Joseph prospered those who were kind of, he was serving, right? Same thing. But that's a problem for the governors and the authorities who want that power because they know who Daniel is. They know Daniel's excellent character that come from his excellent spirit. Daniel's a problem for them. They seek Darius's power. They seek Darius's kingdom, but there's faithful Daniel watching over it. They need to get rid of Daniel for their plans of glory, for their plans of power. But try as they may, they found that Daniel stays in law. He stays in line with the law. 
He follows the rules. He serves Darius faithfully. And so the only way that they can catch Daniel is to sort of carve out a space in the law of the Medes and the Persians that fall outside of the laws of God. They know that's the only way that they're going to catch Daniel because they know Daniel is faithful to Darius, but he's more faithful to God. It's a mark that Daniel lives with. Darius even recognizes it. He says that Daniel serves the God whom he serves continually, all the time. They see it in Daniel's life. So as they go to manufacture this offense, they appeal to Darius's pride, right? Here's Darius, the king of the Medes and Persians, who's just defeated the Chaldeans and taken over the kingdom of Babylon. Surely Darius is pretty happy with himself. He's setting up this wonderful government that looks to be very wise, that's going to run well. Darius, quite possibly, is a man of great pride, and the governors are looking to appeal to that pride as they make this law. And so they go to him and they say, Darius, you are a great king. O king, live forever. Right? Notice the blessing there is really flattery. Notice the flattering lips and the deception of the governors. O king, live forever. We want what's best for you, king. And you deserve a little taste of glory. You deserve a little taste of the glory that's due to the gods because you are such a great king. And you know, Darius goes, that's a pretty good idea. I am pretty glorious, aren't I? I will have a taste of that glory. But they say, you know, but let's not take it too far. Let's be modest about this glory, right? Let's be modest about it just for 30 days. And, and Darius says, yeah, let's not go too far. Just 30 days, that sounds great. Just 30 days. Well, it works, right? Darius goes along with it. And he says, I think that glory, just a little bit, would be good for me. Make it a law. Sign it into law. And as we've heard many times in the passage, that law cannot now be revoked. Because of his pride, he falls right into the trap of these folks who are trying to usurp his power, who are not really serving him faithfully at all, like Daniel was. And so we see that for the 30 days, Darius... That's a mark of humility. But for Daniel, it's a mark of something different. You know, why, why this 30 days? It's such a strange little thing. But if we think about it, the governors know that Daniel is faithful and serves God continually. They know that he's always faithful. And for someone who's always faithful, 30 days is more than enough time to catch Daniel. 30 days is more than enough time for Daniel to break the law in praying to God instead of Darius. It's more than enough time. Because Daniel won't stand for this for one second, let alone 30 days. So they know they've got Darius because of his pride, but they've also got Daniel because of his faithfulness to God. It's a crafty plan, and it seems to be working. What does Daniel do? Right? Does Daniel go down out into the streets and, and raise up a rebellion of faithful Jews against Babylon? No. 
Does he, does he go to Darius and say, Darius, this is unjust? And does he rail against the king? Nope, he doesn't do that. Does he go down into the street and pray as loud as he can to God in front of all the people to see so that everyone can know that he opposes this unjust law, that he opposes Babylon and Darius? He doesn't do that either. What does he do? He just goes about his business in quiet obedience. He just goes up as he does every day, and he goes up three times a day and kneels down, and he prays to God. That's his practice. That's his habit day by day. Daniel goes about in quiet obedience. This is a picture of trust. Daniel turns to God, trusting in God, no matter what. On the good days, on the boring days, on the mundane days, and on the truly terrible days. When things are going sideways, when it seems like society's falling apart around Daniel, he can't even pray to God now without breaking the law. Daniel prays to God. It's his habit. And he trusts in God, in prayer. You know, a habit, a lot of times, is something that we think of as, as not good. Maybe I bite my nails or whatever. I'm going to stop listing habits right now off the top of my head. <laughs> um, they're usually not good. But we're wired a certain way, aren't we? We're wired a certain way, and habits are effective. Look at how Daniel's practice of a habit is effective in doing something good. Day by day, he has a habit of turning to God in prayer. And when things go sideways, he continues his habit of going to God in prayer. Habits are a good thing, sometimes. And we say that practice makes perfect. And I don't know if that's really true, but practice is practical. God knows how we're wired, and he calls us to go to God daily in prayer, to turn to him in all things, in blessings and in tribulations. Go to God in prayer and trust in God. So we have a wonderful example today of how one might do that. If you don't have a daily practice of prayer, I commend it to you because Scripture commends it to us. And if you don't know what to do and you say, I don't know what to say, I don't know what to do, I don't even know how to do this, well, guess what you could do? You could go to a room three times a day. You could get down on your knees and you could give thanks to God and offer up your petitions to him. And that would be a great place to start because that's what Daniel does. It's a good example. Now, this isn't the only way to pray, right? You could pray on your knees. You could pray standing up with your hands raised in the air. You could pray down in, in a prostrate position, bowing down before the God Almighty. They're all commended to us by Scripture. But the point is, among the many ways that we're commanded to do it, we're commanded to do it, and we're commanded to do it. Go to God prayer and regularly and develop a habit of prayer because look around. Things are kind of crazy. And I'm sure every generation has looked around and said, things are kind of crazy. But right now they seem particularly crazy, don't they? 
But as things are going sideways and as there's persecutions and problems, it should be our habit to go to God and trust in Him, going to Him in prayer, going about our life in quiet obedience. Now, one more thing. What about Jerusalem, right? Daniel's looking out of his window that's open towards Jerusalem. Do we need to pray towards Jerusalem? Think about what Jerusalem is at this point. Daniel's been away from Jerusalem a long time now. The walls of Jerusalem have been torn down. The temple has been torn down. The earthly presence of the glory of God is no longer in the temple in Jerusalem. So what is Jerusalem for Daniel? It's hope in God's promise to rebuild Jerusalem. It's hope in God's promise to recall his people from the nations and build them back into a nation of God to reconcile sinners to God. That's what Jerusalem is. For Daniel, it's hope. And as we go to God, we go in the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, that hope fulfilled, the fulfilled promise that God rebuilds his people in the blood of Christ and the forgiveness of their sins so that we have peace with God, that we are reconciled with God and can go to him in prayer, and that our prayers are lifted up by his most excellent spirit. So yeah, Daniel looks to Jerusalem, hope in the promise of God. And as we go in prayer, go to in the name of Jesus Christ, hope in the promise of God. Because when things go sideways, We need help. Daniel has help from his faith. In fact, Daniel's commissioned by his faith. In one sense, to be commissioned is to be empowered. Someone who is is commissioned is empowered to go and act, to go and do something. So Daniel is empowered to live faithfully by his faith. He's commissioned by his faith. Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that faith is assurance of things hoped for. Faith is assurance of things hoped for. And so we can start to see that it's this hope that Daniel has, no matter what's going on, that enables him to quietly live his life marked by the characteristics of the kingdom. It's his hope that frees him from the shackles of the concerns of right now. He's not concerned with right now because his hope is not right now. But his hope is in the future promises of God. Now what that doesn't mean is that he's not in the moment. It doesn't mean that he's not making decisions right now. It doesn't mean that he's not living his life right now. But his hope's not right there, right now. And so he can live faithfully, even when he's got the the breath of lions in his faith, his faith keeps him going, his hope. Now, we've been kind of comparing Daniel and Darius and and the governors, so we'll do that again. Daniel's hope is in the living God, and he's free. Darius's hope is where? In the law of the Medes and the Persians, in his power, in his own glory, This is where Darius' hope is. He's placed his hope in these things, and he's hoping for them to to work things out, right? And so he makes this law, but what does he find out? His hope isn't in this law. His hope in this law doesn't free him from anything, but in fact, it shackles him. 
It makes him do what he doesn't want to do. Remember, unrighteousness begets more unrighteousness. And so he makes this unrighteous law, and it leads to even more unrighteousness. Not even Darius the king can undo this. He places his hope in the kingdom of this world, and he finds himself shackled to do unrighteousness, even if he doesn't want to. Now, what about the governors? The governors place their hope in the world as well, in the power of the world, in taking Darius's power from him, in removing Daniel out of their way so their schemes can be successful. Where do they end up? Their schemes and devices are turned against them. They end up in the very pit where they threw Daniel, devoured by lions. So we can see both in Darius and the governors that as we place our hope in this world, we experience distress. Darius was distressed. He was fasting. He was trying very hard to deliver Daniel, but he found that the laws of the world were incompetent to deliver Daniel from injustice. And for the authorities and the rulers, we're reminded that ultimately unrighteousness results in judgment, in the judgment of God. And that judgment of God is a terrible, terrible thing. Where our hope is gives us the power to proceed. Where we proceed is defined by where our hope is. If our hope is in the power of this world, we will eventually proceed into unrighteousness, to judgment, and to death. If our hope is in the power of God, hope in Jesus Christ, we have deliverance Deliverance from death. Deliverance from the just wrath of God because our sins are forgiven. Do you see where our hope lies is kind of where we're headed? It's an important thing to see today. Daniel hopes in the living God. He places his hope in the kingdom of God. He bears the characteristics of the kingdom of God. He lives a life of quiet obedience, empowered by faith and his most excellent spirit. And this story today points us directly to our hope, brothers and sisters. Our story today is a man of faith, a man of God living in exile who suffers at the hands of an unjust mob, who's delivered over to an incompetent ruler, who's unable to deliver a righteous man and instead delivers him to certain doom, to the mouths of lions, sealed by a stone in a tomb. Our story today points us straight to Jesus Christ, straight to Jesus Christ, the man of righteousness who lived in the power of his most excellent spirit, who glorified God every step of the way, bearing all the attributes of the kingdom who is delivered to Pilate at the hands of an angry and unjust mob to a governor who is incompetent to deliver Jesus from an unrighteous death. 
Daniel was delivered to a tomb alive and sealed with a stone. And he arrived from that sealed stone without a scratch. Jesus was delivered to the cross. And on that cross, he died and was delivered dead to a tomb. And he emerged from that stone-sealed tomb. Not without a scratch, but with five wounds that poured out his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. He emerged alive with the atoning sacrifice of his blood for all who would turn from their sins and believe in him, hope in the living God, in the promises of God, that all who believe in him might walk in his ways, would be never lost, regardless of persecution, regardless of what happens, regardless of the friction and the lightning strikes that come as God's Law opposes the desires of this world. We can be steadfast and faithful only by faith in Jesus Christ. As we go forth bearing his characteristics, the characteristics of the kingdom, as we go forth in quiet obedience, worshiping God and God alone, and as we go forth covered in his blood, commissioned by our faith and our hope in him, to all glory and honor be to King Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are our King and our Savior, our Deliverer, our hope. Oh Lord, you deliver us from the devices of the devil to a righteous life. Lord, may we not trust in the powers of this world. May we not trust in the powers of our own hands, but only in your blood and in the promises of God that we are delivered by your sacrifice. Holy Spirit, be with us that we might walk in the ways of God, that we might glorify our Father in heaven now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Hearing the good news of the gospel, let us rise and profess our faith. Christians, in whom do you believe? I believe in God.